Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest in a series of Empire Podcast spoiler specials. This one is dedicated to. I have completely lost count of the Pixar films. Where are we now? Twenty. Oh, no. oh God. <clears throat> Don't know. Twenty. <laughs> Twenty something. Twenty something. Mm. You sure? Yeah, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> are we going to? That's all we got. got. <laughs> Do you want us to get Wikipedia out? Is that what you want? <laughs> I think we might have to. Oh. I think we might have to. It's okay. I've got a computer. I've got a computer. I've got a computer. Whilst I wait for my computer to boot up, um, I will introduce what this is and who these people are that you just heard. Uh, this is dedicated to the mm-hmm film in the Pixar canon. It is, of course, the wonderful Turning Red, and I'm joined to discuss this and answer some listener questions as best as we can, because we're all a bunch of giggling idiots, of course, by my three colleagues, or should I say my three four townies of such lethal cunning, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Sophie Butcher. Hello. And Amon Warman. Besties assemble. Besties. <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm watching out for your gyrations. Okay. During this podcast. Are they become, making you uncomfortable? Um, well, usually it's the other way around. But, That's true. But in this podcast, what do you mean request denied? What do you mean you sent an identity verification request to my mobile device, but I denied it? Shall I did I just not. Get my phone? I can verify. I can. I. I. Now listen here. Now look here, Microsoft. Oh yeah, they did. I didn't. There you go. Approve. Send another request to my Microsoft Authenticator app. There we go. And don't ask again for thirty days, you mothers. <laughs> I believe Turning Red is the twenty-fifth Pixar film. Holy shit! See, twenty something. I was right. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. The twenty-fifth yeah. Pixar film. I can't think of a, a, a single comparable franchise that has reached that level of of films Uh Um, yeah but anyway Turning Red it's fantastic yeah it is it is is absolutely fantastic uh, which is why we've assembled here in the pod booth to talk about it in this grey we're turning grey in this grey depressing (laughs) pod booth Uh, but we'll be talking about Turning Red just as soon as you have heard from the film's director uh, Domi Shi and producer Lindsay Collins who has produced many Pixar movies Mm. over the years yeah uh, Amon will fill us in on what those are when we return from this because <laughs> Ben <laughs> Ben Travis who cannot be here sadly he loves this movie so much so he gave it four stars shirker uh, in Empire Magazine uh, he interviewed Domi Shi and Lindsay Collins when they came into London recently and here is that interview I haven't heard it it could be a complete train wreck enjoy I'm delighted to be joined on the Empire Spoiler Special podcast for Turning Red uh, by the film's director and co-writer, Domo Shi, and the producer, Lindsay Collins. How are you guys doing? Good. We're doing good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to dig into this film with you today because it is an absolute blast. Uh, it's a very, very different Pixar movie, which is something that I really loved. It has such a distinctive feel and story and setting and characters. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to dig into all the big moments from this film. But I have to start by asking, Domai, I imagine this is a very personal film to you and, and it comes from a personal place and some personal experiences. So I have to ask, what concert were you not allowed to go to as a kid that has stayed with you for this long <laughs> oh man uh all of them i wasn't allowed to go to any <laughs> concerts the first concert i went to was in college um when i finally was able to move out of my parents house but yeah i was so jealous of my friends who like would come back from backstreet boys concerts and nsync concerts with t-shirts and swag and <laughs> oh and, and and this was like before youtube so yeah. i couldn't just go online and like look up uh like a recording Videos, of it yeah. too. So I could just like use my imagination and just be like, like that, that, that must be when 
you become a woman. So, and, and I was, and I just was like, like, I, I need to. You attributed to, to all go. of these yeah. moments to the concert. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it feels life or death, right? I mean, that's why we love that as like, as the stakes of the film in some ways is that it feels very real mm-hmm. to a 13 year old to be like, if I can't go to this concert, if my mom doesn't let me go to this concert, I'm going to die. You know what I mean? It is that big of a deal. It's literally the end of the world. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, let's, let's start there then. Um, because I, I think that's a, a fascinating place to end the film. Was it always heading to that place of it's it's May getting to the concert, it's the confrontation with her mum happening at that concert and being this this clash of of who she sees herself wanting to be and, and the culture that she wants to be a part of while also trying to respect her mum. When did it come across that that should be the sort of the end point for the film uh, and that as the setting for it, the concert? Yeah, I think that was screening two. So, well, the, right? I think, yeah, well, I think we introduced the the boy band, like Four Town as a really driving force in two. In screening two. But I think it was, I think it wasn't later. I think it was later when we were like, because we had a moment where like, you never made it, she never made it to the concert. Right. right. And then it was like, we her. found ourselves... As filmmakers that, being yeah. like, what do you mean we're not going to the concert? It felt like we were robbing the audience and ourselves of like actually getting to see an animated boy band concert. Yeah, it felt disappointing not yeah. to end it with at least a snippet or a glimpse of yeah. the concert. So I think we kind of, we got mad at ourselves yeah. and decided we needed to make it to the concert. We needed to make, and just to see a little bit of it before her mom introduced yeah. her. Mm. But there was always this like mother-daughter huge blow up confrontation yeah. that was going to happen in act three. That was always what the, the film was leading hmm. towards. Um, yeah. It was just a matter of like, like where it was geographically that yeah. like changed from screening to screening. We had it in like the lake at one point. Oh yeah. We had it like around Lake Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had it like around like the, the CN tower, and uh-huh. like, like, like through the, the entire city. Yes. And then we decided just to like focus it and concentrate it around the concert yeah because again it was like thinking like like what would be the most embarrassing yeah spot for may to have this confrontation with her mom like oh in front of her idols in front right. of four town will all of you know all of this stuff get brought to the surface totally. uh, and it kind of echoed back like that you know in the very er- early in the film when her mom you know mortifies her in front of her crush the guy that she's been crushing on and so yeah. it just took that to 11 it's like okay what if her mom did that as a giant red panda in front of four town. Yeah. It's like, how do we one up that moment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned the CN tower there, uh, and I'm going to get to lots of those sort of Toronto Canadian references uh, down the line. Uh, but it struck me in that final reel, when you have Panda Ming, you have that amazing shot of <laughs> the silhouette of Panda Ming against the CN Tower. And I was like, is this Dome's chance to make a Toronto mini Toronto monster movie? Is that something you've wanted to see for a while? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Toronto is always in movies, but disguised as like an American city. Uh, so it was very exciting for me to be able to include all of these Toronto landmarks and to actually have it take place in Toronto. I, was I didn't like, even know that, by the way, before this movie. And like, and like you talk to any person, especially somebody who's from Toronto and like the indignation of the fact that your your yeah. your city is always... Another city. like another city in movies. Yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't even realize yeah. that that was a thing. Yeah. So like, there's a huge amount of pride about the fact that Domi has. I think she's going to get the key to the city. 
I'll just put it out there. Yes, please. <laughs> Preferably a boy band concert in the yes, exactly. uh, in the Blue Jays stadium. A boy band celebrating her key to the city. Yes. Please. Well, uh, when I was watching the film, something that um, really intrigued me that the way that the film plays out, I, I think it sort of quietly subverts a lot of your expectations. I think I went into this film um, having seen the trailer and, and understanding the premise of, of May turning into the panda and thinking, oh, well, is this the story about her trying to hide that secret? And that is not what the story is. Once that revelation comes, it's more about how it felt to me anyway that it's more about how May owns that side of herself and yeah, decides yeah. to deal with that part of herself. So, yeah. and, and that the film it doesn't then pivot to an adventure plot; it stays as a coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about whether that was your intention and how you kept that thread? Because it sounds like the way that these uh, Pixar films and a lot of Disney films are made, the, the constant iterations of story that it's mm-hmm. uh, a process of, of breaking down and rebuilding, but keeping yeah. that center and keeping that as the through line of, of how May deals with this revelation rather than trying to keep that a secret from people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, um, I mean, it was something I was trying to do from the very beginning, yeah. like not go the, pre- the more predictable route of, of, of May trying to hide her, secret panda identity Mm -hmm. for the majority of act two and having it blow up. Uh, This was about a girl. Yeah. Like you said, owning her red pandaness. And it was more about her conflict and relationship with her mom um, versus her relationship with the outside world and what they thought of, of the panda. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I love coming of age stories and, you know, like being a fan of them and seeing, so many versions of that story. Like I really wanted to make this feel unique mm-hmm. and different. And uh, there's just something so charming and surreal about this image of like a giant red panda at school, kind of like, oh, like mm-hmm. awkwardly looking around and everyone kind of st- staring at her, but, and, and like, and her having to like navigate school with her giant body. I thought that was really like cool and like a really clear and fun metaphor for a girl going through bodily changes because yeah yeah. and I think we I I think as to your point about kind of iteration and how it evolved I I do think we played around a lot with slightly different versions of it in the sense of like how long does it take for her to kind of start to embrace it does she embrace it right out of the gate or does her mom hate it does she love it I mean there was different versions of it until we kind of landed on what felt the most kind of true and, and powerful, which was that of course her mom would hate it. Mm-hmm. You know, initially we had a version where the mom totally loved it because it, you know, was a, was like a gift and she was, yeah, it was like a blessing from the God. Blessing. And so she was like, but then it started to feel like, wait a minute. It's, it's like this- we were losing them. Metaphor, yeah, right? we were losing the metaphor and it was like, it's not a gift. And if her mom starts to see it that way, where's the conflict? In yeah, it? exactly. So we needed to have it be something that represented the thing that her mom was trying to prevent, which is her daughter growing up and, yeah. and kind of becoming a different person than her, like becoming mm-hmm. a separate person mm-hmm. from her mom. So I think it was, I think it was a lot of different iterations and it was, you know, frankly, the iterations with Pixar and, and, and the notes and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff actually was really good at helping us kind of narrow yeah, and, focus. In and focus it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking there about the the metaphor and the coming of age story. Uh, a scene that really stood out to me is is 
uh, May's first transformation, and you have that moment where where Ming thinks that May has started her period, and the <laughs> yes. way that that scene plays out. It feels very, very funny. It feels very observed. Um, but also, we're, we're so not used to seeing films that depict periods in any way, let alone in family movies, let alone in animated movies. Um, so how did you approach the way that you wanted to present that scene and, and having the chance to present that in a Pixar movie, of all things? Yeah, uh, it's funny. Like that scene, or a version of that scene has always yeah. been in the movies, like since mm. the very first version. Uh, and I think it was just because, like, if we're going to be telling a, a, a coming of age story about a girl going through magical puberty, we have to talk yeah. about her getting her period. Uh, like every woman, every girl has is going to go through this experience. And it just seemed like the most authentic, real yeah. kind of way to to tackle this 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 topic. And also just from the beginning, like I wanted to just be very bold and straightforward with the type of mm-hmm. story and the tone of the movie that we wanted to, to set. Uh, so I was like, well, let's just shoot for the sun and land on the moon and let's not tiptoe around this, this topic and just like, go for it, show it, show all that mountain of pads and, and see what the reaction is. And, uh, and the, and the reaction was like, surprisingly positive yeah it was yeah i don't think anybody because again we were we show these things kind of to internal audiences right um at pixar and and we were lucky enough to have not had a global pandemic quite yet Mm -hmm. so we had our first couple of screenings kind of in person where you got to feel an audience reaction and Mm -hmm. um that scene was so great because the audience reaction was exactly what you wanted, which was like half the room was laughing and the other half was like looking through their eyes in total horror, <laughs> like, no, just out of the embarrassment of it, um, which is awesome. I mean, that's like gold, right? Yeah. If you can get your audience like cringing in their seats, like, no, mm-hmm. don't do it. And then there's just so many specific funny moments, like with her dad slowly backing out of the, of the hallway at like the mere mention that it's possibly her getting her period. And he's like, Oh, oh and like backs out of the thing. Nope. Just really funny stuff. Yeah. Uh, you were talking before about um, in those different iterations, the reactions to, to May and her transformation and her mother, you have that really uncomfortable sequence in the film where May is alone in her room and she's throwing herself around and, and the sort yeah. of discomfort she feels is really comes across in a really visceral way. But then yeah. as the opposite of that, I love this idea that her friends are the calming power that helps May stay in control. You've got uh, Miriam, Priya and Abby, who are such fun characters. Uh, so can, what can you tell me about the process of of finding that as, as the way that May controls her power through through the friendships that she has? Yeah, it it uh it just felt like like a very like pivotal coming of age moment in a lot of our lives when when it like that that shift of like the most important people in, in our lives. Mm-hmm. It shifts from our parents and our family, the people that are closest to us, like like blood related to other people, to to friends, to like, you know, mm-hmm. the opposite sex, like to a partner. Like that, that, that shift feels significant. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, uh in May, like in, in this coming of age story, like where we're following this girl kind of growing up, like like that felt like a really important moment for her to kind of realize, oh my gosh, like 
the world no longer revolves around my mom, it's slowly starting. To, I'm starting to realize that like, like I'm like my, my friends are kind of my world now. And, and just that realization, yeah. is, I, I think like it's significant for me. For sure. Yeah. I think it's significant. I mean, the power of friendship, right. At that, at that age in particular, I mean, for good or for bad. Um, I think there's a lot of movies out there that show you kind of a negative, especially for girls, like some, the mean girl aspect or the friends that are not supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, and you were super adamant from the beginning, like Mm -hmm. that is not what we're showing. Mm -hmm. We're going to show like the power of friendship in a really positive way. And what it is to support, like to have that kind of like ride or die. die. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Like, and, um, and then the fact that it, and again, that did evolve that it, they were the, the power that calmed her down mm-hmm. and they were always super close and they were always something that was like, it was the force that was pulling her away. But, um, but that kind of, that really clear kind of equation of my friends help me calm down yeah. so that I can transform back into myself or either way I can control it. Mm-hmm. Um, was again, we evolved there, I think, but it was, I loved it. I think the minute they were like suggested it, like, what if we really just show that they're the ones Mm -hmm. that can, that can really affect whether or not she's, she's calm or herself Mm -hmm. and they can really settle her and ground her. I thought it was really powerful. Mm -hmm. Cause it's so true. Yeah, totally. And in terms of the evolving relationships in the film, I think what's also really interesting is that all, all of the relationships in May's life are evolving, but you have that really lovely scene later on in the film between May and her dad and her yeah. dad being that encouraging voice. He's him saying, I, I like the panda. I like who you are mm-hmm. as the panda and mm-hmm. you're, you're still May, but I like panda May as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you talk about kind of delivering that moment in the film and, and giving you that moment? Because I think it's so important on the one hand that this is a story about May and her mum, but at the same time carving out that time for the scene yeah. with May and her dad. Yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes Me too. too. Um, yeah, it felt right that it would be her dad to kind of give her this, this like this information or that, that like just give her this advice of like uh, embracing the messy side of herself because he's been watching the whole time. You can imagine like he's been quietly kind of supporting his mm-hmm. wife and daughter and he's been very observant and listening and trying to be there for them, but not like trying to be in the way or like tell them what to do. Um, and we wanted the scene to, to not feel like he was, t- he was telling her exactly what to do or to feel, but like, and it played out in a really nice way where you know, it's, it's almost like he's mostly talking about the video camera and like what's in the video camera. And like, that is such a beautiful kind of metaphor mm-hmm. of, of her Panda persona where May wants to delete it and like get rid of it. But he's like, Oh no, like, I like that video. There's it some, it makes yeah. me laugh. And that kind of like plants that seed in her head that starts to germinate as we go into the next scene, uh, you know, and, and, and then May kind of comes to that conclusion herself, but it's her dad that kind of gently plants that scene. Yeah. I think if it were Ming doing it, she would tell her what to do. And then that would just feel wrong. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, um, and because we needed it to be May's choice, right. That she was kind of making the choice, but that everybody loves gin. I think, you know, we always would get like, can we have more gin? And it was (laughs) like, no, you can't because he needs to be like the, the silent um, sage dad who kind of slowly, you know, becomes the hero. And he was always the hero. I think in the very, even though it was all different, 
how it, how it kind of played out. Mm-hmm. Jin was always kind of the hero of the story that helped bring his wife and his daughter yeah. kind of together. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the visual style of the film because I started off by saying that this film is so distinct from a lot of other Pixar movies. And I think a lot of that, as well as the story, is the visual style and the art style and so many elements of that. So I want to dig into that a bit. Um, something that just struck me overall is that I guess a lot of the the, the color palette and the, the choices uh, made in terms of the overall visual presentation feels like it leans in a really lovely way into what you'd stereotypically associate with like teen girl interests. It is pastely pink, it is boy bands, everything's sparkly, you've got the kind of emoji eyes. Yeah. Um, and I loved that. It, it really just brought a sense of this being kind of May's personality on the screen and her lens on the world. Uh, can you talk about kind of pushing that that slightly different visual style and melding it with the more kind of traditional Pixar visuals? Yeah, yeah. Like from the very beginning, we really wanted this movie to look and feel different, to, to feel like it's like shot from the point of view of, of a 13-year-old like Asian uh, dorky bubbly girl and um the term we used a lot in production was asian tween fever dream uh, <laughs> and just giving our crew the task of like how do we achieve this, this like a this new look? instagram filter asian that- tween, yeah mm. asian tween fever dream, dream. yeah it's a great filter. <laughs> um and uh and yeah and all of it just came from wanting to support the story and wanting to support may uh, as a character and, and make the audience feel what, what May's feeling at any given time in the movie. So like, you know, she's feeling like a very strong emotion and like, we're really pushing and exaggerating her facial features, the colors, the, the, like really pushing the, the, the background and abstracting it and like really making it clear, like whatever she's feeling, we as the audience are feeling it too, with all the colors and the, Mm -hmm compositions and stuff yeah. happening. And even went so far as to the, even in the, um, in the score, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking to Ludwig and kind of giving him that same um, kind of vision for what, how we've been thinking about the film mm-hmm. to kind of give him permission to think about how she would have scored her own introduction, mm-hmm. you know? So in the beginning of the film, when she kind of looks to camera and introduces herself, it's like he really leaned into like, all right, if that, if this was May giving me notes on what she wanted her score to be, like her theme to be, what would it be? And it was like it's new like Jack Swing. Cutesy new Jack Swing. With, with yeah, dorky jazz <laughs> dorky flute. Dorky jazz flute, because she know? plays the flute. Yeah. So he was awesome. He totally kind of got it and was like, all right, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to lean into like how this girl would want to, want her theme to sound, you know, ultimately in the film. So it kind of, it was every element of it really yeah. that you, that you thought about. Yeah. It's also like my own just personal aesthetic because I am uh, like, I was raised with one foot in both Eastern and Western art and culture. Like I was as influenced by Disney and Warner brothers cartoons as I was with anime and Hayao Miyazaki films. And uh, when, when you watch the movie, it's like kind of, it's definitely like a blend of East and West because I am a blend of East and West. <laughs> I think that comes across. There's a couple of moments in this uh, action parts of the film that feel like it has a bit of that um, maybe anime influence. The the moment when May, uh, with her panda arm, throws the dodgeball and you have all those kind of speed lines. um, Mm -hmm. And in the final confrontation at the end, sort of May rising up into the air and when she transforms (laughs) into the panda, it it just has that kind of kinetic style to it. Uh, Yeah, what, what were your reference points there? 
Oh yeah. Just like you said, uh, anime, I mean, specifically, like I, I love the anime from the nineties and in early two thousands, uh, Sailor Moon was a huge inspiration for us in terms of the color palette, but also the expressions and that like that that teen girl feeling um, ran my half for the yeah again for the fight sequences and the and and the fun of characters like poofing into different animals and poofing back into humans. Um, we just really wanted to like especially for that last like Act Three mm-hmm. battle, just really like crank everything up to an 11 and just show the most like intense like mother daughter or mother teen daughter fight of the ages like that was our goal yeah just to really exaggerate that that like that typical kind of like fight uh between a parent and a kid and 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 a teen in the living room but like blow it up on a huge scale and kind of what it feels like when you're actually having a huge like for once you like explode and have a full-on argument with your parents there's this like the the adrenaline that runs through you you're like i'm gonna like i just want to go to (laughs) casa so yeah there was something very kind of you know uh real about it too yeah Yeah. and it's more fun to see it like acted out as a kaiju battle versus like seeing real humans shouting at each other in the living room that's not fun Going back to the concert, um, I mean, you mentioned a second ago uh, Ludwig Göransson's score, which is incredible. And you're watching the film and going, this music is amazing. And then you see Ludwig's name at the end and you're like, of course, that's why it's amazing because of Ludwig Göransson. At the same time, you have uh, Billie Eilish and and Phineas uh, contributing to the... I believe to the Fortan music. Can you tell me a bit about their involvement and how that kind of came around? Yeah, I think when we we kind of came up with the genius idea that we got to create our own boy band, which I think everybody was like, oh, um, uh, just alone, just all sat there for a minute in joy about <laughs> that concept. Um, we kind of thought about, you know, different ways to go. We could obviously find an existing boy band and then just see if they would be willing to sing some songs for us. But the more we talked about it, the more there was just this real kind of fun desire to like, what if we could create our own? Um, and then it became a question of, all right, well, then who do we go to 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 write these songs. Um, and at the time I had, you know, uh, I still do have three teens. Um, they were slightly younger at the time, but they were all kind of listening to Billy and really were kind of constantly playing that music in our house and obviously felt very deeply that it, she spoke to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that, you know, we all felt t- for different artists in our own time. So to be able to kind of approach somebody who was clearly that tapped in mm-hmm. now and be like, all right, and we're not really asking you to perform as you. Would you be willing to write as a boy band? We figured it was just weird enough that maybe they'd go, all right, you know, and, <laughs> and they did. Um, and they really nailed it because I think they have a lot of appreciation. They, it's not as though they were making fun of the boy band genre at all. Like yeah. the songs are truly like they love boy bands and being kind of taken back into that period of time they took it very seriously so um yeah they, they signed on and wrote three original songs for us 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love as well that in that final ritual um, sequence, at the end of the concert, you get that blending of, of the boy band music and the traditional yeah. Chinese music in the ritual feels like sort of the film in in microcosm. Uh, there's a there's a line from May at the end that, again, feels like everything <laughs> in the film in one line that is um, May's outburst when she says to her mum, uh, I like boys, I like loud music, I like gyrating, I'm 13, get used to it. That, <laughs> that is just a killer line. <laughs> yeah, that was Julia Cho, our uh, main writer, and and it was just it was amazing because like she she came up with that like later. Yeah, yeah, like maybe like like screening six or yeah, something. It was, late. It, was uh-huh. it, it was late in the game, but it just felt so cathartic and perfect, and what May needed to express in that moment, and what her mom needed to hear. And I I love how her mom just like takes it in, and she's like. No. <laughs> You're like, is she going to be okay with it? No, no she's not. Nope. Yeah. No, she's not. And it doesn't, I like that it doesn't, it wasn't written as though an adult would say it. Like that is mm-hmm. something that yeah. you feel like that's as a 13 year old, you're like, these are the words and the references I have, yeah. and I'm going to throw it in your face. All the things I know are going to upset you. It's totally like that moment in movies. Like it's like that, like character getting on a soapbox and giving a speech about what they learned kind yeah. of moment, but we really wanted to like, subverted and, and really make it feel like a 13 year old mm-hmm. like like outburst giving like, a very mm-hmm. honest outburst and <laughs> it is kind of something she's learning but also it's just yeah. it's just very coming from a very emotional yeah. place <laughs> my, my time is nearly up so i'm going to blast through a few last bits um yeah. i love that the final sequence gives you um all the women in the family releasing their pandas at the end uh, what yeah. did it mean for you to end this film I guess with action, but also effectively with a conversation between these generations of, of Chinese yeah. women with their very different life experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I thought like, that's one of my favorite moments in the film was seeing like all of the aunties and grandma come, like releasing their pandas to help May and, and her mom. And it, that just felt true to life to me that even, you know, if there's a lot of conflict within the family, even if, you know, you're, uh, you know, there's like matriarchs and family who don't hundred percent approve of what you're doing. Like if there's a crisis or an emergency, they will drop everything to help a family member. Mm-hmm. And that for me is, 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 is what that moment kind of represents that even though they don't all agree with May keeping her panda or the panda in general, that they will still do whatever it takes to like save a, like yeah. a family member mm-hmm. in need. So I think it's a really beautiful thing to see all these strong, women come together in, in, in the end. Yeah. yeah. And just a, a quick one, I'm, I'm aware my, my time is up, but as the flip side of that conversation between May and her dad, I love uh, that you have that moment where May gets to talk to her mum as a teenager. Um, can you just talk about that, that kind of crafting that sequence? Yeah, yeah. That was um, like a really cool and surreal kind of moment that that we really wanted to to try and because it takes place in the astral plane like in this other spirit world we thought we could just take advantage of of the magicness of the space just to really almost show may what she needs to see in that yeah. moment which is her mom not as a monster not as this like perfect goddess who can do no wrong but as like just a real flawed human that went through a lot of the same issues that that she went through and again it's like it's like one of those like pivotal coming of age moments for May and for all of us where we realize, oh, our parents aren't these immortal beings, <laughs> they, they aren't these indestructible 
figures like they're they're human they have mm-hmm. flaws and they are the way they are because of you know very specific reasons and i think like like that's one of that's also one of my favorite scenes yeah too. i think yeah. it's i think it was also the showing of it right it's one thing to have you know you could have had ming say say everything yeah just you know say it all but in animation obviously you know the mantra we always have is like as much as you can show it mm-hmm. don't say it Mm-hmm. And to have that kind of visual kind of opportunity to go like, this is what you, she's talking to her mom when she was her age. Mm-hmm. Um, and it lets kind of, you know, maybe the adult, it's like a real switch yeah. where she gets to kind of take a moment to kind of be the caretaker of her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and also she's talking to herself too. Yeah. I think when she's saying like, you know, it's not true. It's not true. I know like, it feels that way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. I love that. I love that scene. <laughs> Well, this has been fascinating. I have so much more I could go into it. The, the Blue Jay nod at the end, the Tim Hortons, the, the Toronto Transit, all of that stuff. Yeah. But this has been a blast. Thank you so much for taking the time to dig into the film. And yeah, congratulations. It's a really, really brilliant film. Thank, Thank you, you so much. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks. Great. Thank you, guys. Have a lovely day. Okay, so that was Domi Shi and Lindsay Collins, uh, who has produced, just off the top of my head, she has produced a lot of films at Andrew Stanton, John Carter in the live action arena. And I'd wow. say the likes of Wally and Finding Dory and then probably a number of shorts as well. It's, it's crazy that you just had that information stored it's, in your it's head. It's almost like you just heard that like a voice, <laughs> like my voice in your head just mm. now during the cuts. And then just did I? were able to. I, I mean, don't did know anything you? about that. Know. I'm not, not going to confirm or deny that at this time. <laughs> Let's just say I put the I. In IMDb. Mm. I am a walking font of knowledge. I knew it was a 25th movie in the Pixar Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Shame on you all for not knowing that. Uh-huh. But anyway, it is a cracking addition to the Pixar Cinematic Universe. As I've said many times on the podcast, when film franchises tend to hit 25, very rare, of course, but they tend to fall off a cliff. Uh, the, the Carry On movies... The James Bond franchise. No, only kidding. Only kidding. Only kidding. Only kidding. But this one's holding strong. What, what, what are, what's our general thoughts about Turning Red before we dig into it in greater detail? Helen, I'll start with you. I think it's super cute. And I think it, it is brilliant in its kind of specificity and universality. So the fact that it gets this very clear view of a family you know in the same way that like like Mitchells versus the machines did you look at their houses mm-hmm. you look at the design of these characters you look at their interplay you know exactly who these people are you get a very clear sense of exactly where they're from what their lifestyle is but also you get these very universal themes about growing up about becoming your own person about the way that your relationship with your parents changes as you hit adolescence about finding a new balance or not really finding a new balance but realizing that you're going to have to be unbalanced now and that that's part of being an adult. And and mm. that's mm. that journey, I think, is something that everybody goes through, whether they kind of realize it or not. Um, and then also all the stuff in school, all the stuff with her friends, having your homies, having your buds, having, a, you know, a, a pop band that you crush on and a concert that you're desperate to get tickets for. It took me back. It really took me back. It was gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I love about it is just how different it feels from other Pixar films. We're, 20, we're 25 films in and mm-hmm. we know that it's a Pixar formula. The buddy movie, the mismatched characters who go on a quest. Um, and that's fine because they each time they find new variations on the theme and their characters are always beguiling and winning. But this just felt really, really different from the mm-hmm. off. You know, you know Malin is a completely different protagonist. The way she introduces herself to the audience, the way she addresses the camera, breaks the fourth wall. Even the title sequence just made me laugh. Mm-hmm. There's, there, you know, it's there's elements I would say of, you know, it, it felt a little bit like 
Scott Pilgrim in a way, in the way that it was taking risks uh, visually. Uh, also, Sophie, 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 <laughs> Sophie, what did you make of it? I adore this film. Um, it's probably I, I like Pixar films. I'm not I'm not huge on them, but this is the first <gasps> I, I like them. <laughs> but I don't keep up with them religiously. But this is the first. <gasps> I know, I'm so sorry. This is the first Pixar film in years that I have felt compelled to watch when it came out. Um, from the trailer, from hearing about the concept, I think the concept is genius. Um, like Helen said, the way it's so specific to May and her heritage and her ancestry. But then the way it just relates to any teenage girl, it's so relatable. Um, and I just think the delivery of it is incredible. Um, it's such good fun. It's got such heart. And yeah, I watched it again last night and I just adore it. Are you being swayed by your own hair colour here? <laughs> you know, did you identify with her because she ends up with red hair? Is that, is that what's going on? What do you mean? I don't know. I'm just, like, I don't understand why you don't like other Pixar movies. So I'm trying to figure it out. I got Brave. I Brave's got a, a red head oh, here. It does. It core. does. Um, but it's curly. Whereas it's, you know, r- roughly the same length as Sophie's hair. <laughs> okay. Bo Peep? Yeah. Well, you could argue Woody. Blonde. You could argue Woody. Okay, Bo Peep's a blonde, yeah. yeah. But you could argue Woody's um, redhead. No, you couldn't. Yeah, you He's got could. brown hair. Mm. <laughs> Does he, though? He's a red hat. That's it. <laughs> I knew he was thinking of something. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Pixar's been turning red right from the off. Amon, what did you make of this? I'm not going to beat around the bush. This is my favourite film of the year so far. Whoa! Whoa. Holy shit, I did that genuinely. Did not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this film was everything. I absolutely loved it for all the reasons uh, Helen and Sophie said. Also loved the fact that it's about loving every aspect of yourself mm, mm. as well. The message really comes through very strongly. And yeah, I just, uh, I've, I also watched it again uh, last night. Well, actually this morning uh, to prep for this. And yeah, it's still five stars. I, I, I've been arguing with Ben ever since I saw his four star review. Like of all the films to go four star, you especially being the love of animation you are, this is not the film to do that. This is a five star film for me. Easy. I think it's a five star film as well. And uh, I'm a, bit surprised I, I really liked Onward but oh, and, this is and Ben Onward. we talked about this in a regular pod with Ben and he is he has tried to justify his opinions no, his no, wrong he's opinions not here to defend himself. well that's the best time to kick yeah. someone I find uh, uh, but you know to go five on Onward and four on this means and that uh, Ben is now sorry I'm sorry Ben I love you and you are my uh, apparently my son uh, but you are now excommunicado I have yep. just called it in there is a contract out on Ben seven million dollars uh, he will be dead by the hours out he ah. was very close to a five I know that he was oh really, sorry really I've just I've just I've just reversed the excommunicado order on Ben I can do that I can do that I can do that <laughs> it's very like. expensive um, alright so um, last night at about 10.30 I was like you know what let's get some questions in for Turning Red and I did not expect I'll be honest, I did not expect to get a lot of questions for Turning Red, especially not at 10.30 at night. Um, but because, you know, it's a Pixar film and because, you know, it's on Disney Plus and boo to that, by the way, yeah, this thing should yeah. absolutely be in cinemas. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, shame on Disney and their current uh, strategy vis-a-vis Disney Plus. And I'm sure you're driving subscribers and it's all working out very nicely for the shareholders. <laughs> but... But, you know, the regular folks, come on. I'm sorry, it would also drive subscribers if they had it a month later in cinemas. You know, there are ways to do this and still give Pixar films a big screen release. It's offensive to suggest otherwise. It's not only frustrating because of the quality of the film, Mm. but this recent trend of putting films on straight to Disney Plus has come for landmark 
know, first of their kind type movies. You think of this film, you think of Soul, you think of Ryan the Last Dragon, you think of Luca. These are all films which take, you know, stories to places which they haven't gone to before, yeah. with mm-hmm. cultures mm-hmm. that we haven't seen before, with characters mm-hmm. we haven't seen before. These are the films that should be going to cinemas, not straight to Disney Plus. It's yeah. very frustrating on that level too. Fully agreed. And I hope that they reverse the trend with Pixar sooner rather than later yeah. because mm-hmm. imagine being a Pixar. Uh, you know, one of the great storytelling jewels of the world and your work is being made to feel like a, like a second-class citizen exactly. in a way and mm-hmm. made to feel less important than it should be and not given the, the, the platform, quite frankly, it deserves. I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't sit well with me that the, these things are on Disney+. Plus. However, it did enable me to watch most of the film again this morning on the bus. So, <laughs> here's so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Swings and roundabouts. The end of this film's like a kaiju sing-along. I want to sing that yeah. see that in IMAX, damn Yeah, it. the bus driver was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> you get everyone singing full town on the bus. <laughs> They're not by your side. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> ben and I were playing that at a very loud volume in the office last week. Um, yes. People didn't know what was going on, but we were loving life. This is great. I love that you guys can actually get away with putting music from films on in the <laughs> office because it doesn't we really didn't work used for me. To be able to do no, that. no, I put the Whiplash soundtrack once uh, on once. Awesome. It's an amazing, yes. but it is also anxiety-inducing. I mean, it's And I was like, you've got to listen to all nine and a half minutes of Caravan, folks. What, yes. what the hell are you doing? And yeah. then it's like a six-minute drum solo. <laughs> okay, that is, I, I do find that's the problem like with, with film soundtracks. If you put them on and you're trying to write or, or yeah. study or something, like they'll, they'll, there'll be too many climaxes and you're yeah. like, I'm just trying to work here. Not in that sense, okay. I mean, maybe. Um, wow. not, but like, I'm just trying to write here and you're like, you know, giving yeah. me the big battle scene and I can't hack the big yeah. battle scene right yeah. now. No, you definitely need to be careful what you put in your playlist. You really uh, do. Because, yeah. It's a fine scene, really. I will just start air composing like... Duh, 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 duh. It's really <laughs> hard to type and air compose at the you know same time. Yeah. This is true. Or air conduct, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, air compose, wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's, that's wild. <laughs> what you need is um, a theremin, and then you can air yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Barry McCreary, Battlestar Galactica. Anyway, let's move yeah. on. Yeah. I put the uh, Book of Mormon soundtrack on in the office once, and that lasted precisely half a song. Hamilton didn't even last enough. Hamilton did ha- Hamilton got four four songs four in. Songs. Four songs what? in. Who Look, wait, I we need to I need names. Right, hold on. I need names as to who stopped that. I'm on. I, I'm sorry to say, but they did throw away their shot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we may have gotten Such a shame. Oh yeah, what are we talking about? Uh Pixar's twenty fifth movie, <laughs> turning red. All right. So the, the I put out the ask for questions. I didn't expect to get many back. We got loads. Mm. And good questions as well. So uh, it's a spoiler special. I did my usual thing of going, you know, please can you slide into my DMs? So that people don't get spoilers, but I guess people don't really consider this to be one of those movies that you have to tiptoe around the plot. So some people responded. Mm, so right. we'll, we'll 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 go through DMs and regular questions as well. Here's one from Jerry Craig's. Will Turning Red inspire the pod crew to come to Toronto? I'll buy the first round of Bow. Yay! Um, I've Bow and, and Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Toronto, Toronto is one of my five favorite cities I've in the world. It's, it's really an nice amazing, city. amazing place. Yeah. I spent five weeks there in 1993. It's where I saw Jurassic Park and The Fugitive and Robin Hood Men in Tights, an indelible experience. Uh, I have an aunt who lives there. Love Toronto. It's an amazing, amazing place. Uh, and I haven't been back. It's been so long since I've been back. So mm. I need to go back to Toronto. And yes, if we're getting free bow, then yeah, I'm <laughs> free in. Free bow. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. 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 I think I was there for Pacific Rim. I think I was in. Ooh, okay. Nice. Good. I like that film. Very good. I've you would think to... they'd be in Vancouver, but no. 
<laughs> I've always wanted to go to TIFF. And yeah, same. Felt like a really cool festival. So yeah, yeah I've yeah. never been. I've never been to TIFF. Uh, maybe one day. But uh, the question I think is designed to make us talk about Toronto and about mm. the cultural and geographical specificity yeah. of this choice. Is that why it made you think of? Scott Pilgrim, do you think? Because that Possibly. made a, that made a also, joke okay. about mm-hmm. Toronto mm-hmm. actually playing itself rather than playing various yes. locations in the US. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, uh, possibly. But it was also the 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 very much the um, anime overtones mm-hmm. of Scott Pilgrim. Do feel yeah. that there's anime overtones here as well. It's taking it's taking risks with the form and with the the grammar of the of the film. That may that just made me think of that movie, which has probably taken a while to become influential because it didn't do well at the box office. But mm-hmm. now we're in that period where people who would have seen it in two thousand and nine. Um, yeah. Or 2010? 2009. 2000 and. Whenever it came out. <laughs> I think 2010, actually. 2010. Whenever it came out in 2010, uh, people will be filmmakers mm. and uh, they will be um, uh, influenced by it. But yeah, Toronto as well. It's obviously where Domi Shi grew up. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it's lovely to have a movie that takes place somewhere other than, you know, Andy's bedroom or Fantasyland. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so splashed all over the film. Yeah. It's. Mm. It's got a t-shirt. They have put the flags up in the school. Mm. She's got a little on her hat. It's embroidered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the sky dome. The sky dome. Yeah, um, it's everywhere. And I love that um, Domi really made it clear that, that this is Toronto. It can't be mistaken. This is Canadian. Um, I spoke to her for the magazine a couple of months ago. And she said that she wanted May to be like a Canadian folk hero, which I just think is Amazing. so <laughs> lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like it works it just works really well because, well, obviously it works because it's, again, drawing specifically from her childhood, mm. from her mm. um, life. Um, but also just in terms of the colours and in terms of the look mm. of the thing, I think it works. Like, you know, red maple leaves, you get them in sort of the Far East in like, well, certainly Japanese bonsai. I don't know quite so much about, you know, mm. Chinese culture. <laughs> and then obviously the red maple leaf is the Canadian symbol. It just feels like it all ties together. Yeah. It feels symbol, like the, eh? the, the colours are right. The colours, by the way, in this film I find incredibly striking. There's yep. so much God, mint yeah. green in the background so mm-hmm. that the red Pink just pops. And, yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. It's beautiful. In fact, Richard Stone 100 also slid into my DMs and has asked, has any animated movie ever so perfectly captured a city as Turning Red does Toronto? I really liked the way that Soul captured New York. Mm. Yeah. Mm. If, I'm, if, if I'm trying to think back to, to Pixar films. And um, The Illusionist and Edinburgh, I think, is very, very good. There's a real sense of the illusion, the, the magician uh, animation from... I don't think I've seen that one. I'm, I'm, oh, you're talking I mean, about the illusionist with um, the, 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 the original, the original one. Ho- oh, not, yeah, because I was thinking Edward Norton. the animated one <laughs> okay. that came out around the same time. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. Have you I not? Seen oh, that one, uh, no. Sylvain Chomet um, was the director. He's obviously French, but yeah. uh, I think it was made in or with the Scots and just the sense of Edinburgh and that is superb. Really, really good. Also, I would actually argue, and it's not a big part of the film, but I think London in Peter Pan London. is pretty good. <laughs> right. You get a real sense of the sort of 19th century London and the kind of romance of that and also the 101 Dalmatians as well. 101 mm-hmm. Dalmatians, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was going to say Mary Poppins, but that's not only partially animated. Only partially, yeah. uh, that's the London we all want to live in, isn't <laughs> oh, it, really? The Mary Poppins oh London. Oh my God, can you imagine living yeah. in like one of those houses? Oh. What about geographically as well? Because we always take liberties, uh, well, movies always take liberties, and then we take exception to them taking liberties with the geography of, of major cities. Do animated films do the same? It's been a long time since I've been in Toronto, so, but seeing things like, you know, like her traveling on the TTC just made me smile a lot. 
Yeah, when she hops over to the sky door, like yeah. how far yeah, away yeah, yeah, yeah. is that? <laughs> Get it right. I'm sure. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they've invested a lot of time and energy in that. But yeah, it really, really captured. But the, but it's all I thought got New York, and not in that sort of cliched "Hey, I'm walking here" kind of way. But it, it got the, the mm. sense of sort of the sort of more sedate <laughs> uh, side the of New York, kind the of neighborhoods. New York, really. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really, really great and beautiful. Mm. Uh, also, all right. Kashfia Kabir, and this is someone who slid into my DMs. What was the four town equivalent tween obsession for everyone on the pod? <laughs> uh, mine was the Backstreet Boys. Oh, this is a great question. <laughs> Backstreet Boys are, are a genius group. Yeah, you should never be ashamed of that. Um, mm. So I was quite cool as a teenager. I've actually backslid. <laughs> if you say no. so. Yes, yeah, same. <laughs> the, the, the tickets that I remember being obsessed with getting, and, and the ones where we were like, rushing to the, the the physical ticket shop that you had to physically the, go to the ticket shop yeah in Colerain it was one of the record shops in Colerain yeah. was for Nirvana tickets oh, it was Nirvana when that you were was my a, big one what's tween by the way uh, when what, I was what, a, what well certainly when I was a young teenager because okay. they came to time when I was 13 I think I didn't Nirvana get Nirvana came to town not to like to Belfast not obviously Colerain or Port Stewart alright okay yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but they were th- so I missed out that time I had a ticket for to see them basically on the day that his body was ultimately found. Wow. But I had already returned it because he'd he'd had that previous suicide attempt and the concert had been postponed to the middle of my GCSEs. Oh, it was very stressful. So we had to return the tickets. So anyway, that's a dark story. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, yeah, uh, that was, that's... Genuinely, that was the one I, I was obsessed with getting tickets for. That was the big deal. I mean, mm. a little bit blur after that. I ended up going to a bunch of U2 concerts. But that was. I've when never I was a seen you two. Have you not? Oh, no. they're, you know what? They're very good live. You've probably never heard that before, but I can tell you that <laughs> they are really quite a good live band. Are they? Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, I know okay. you wouldn't ex- expect yeah. it, would you? No, well, I've never seen you two live. Uh, did I have tickets for them once, and then I did. I couldn't go. Uh, never seen Radiohead either. Uh, I wasn't into music when I was a tween. Wow. Uh, I I only, I only got into music as in you know becoming obsessive about music and getting into bands and wanting to go to see concerts and stuff. Mm. I only got into music like that when I was about 16 or 17. Mm. Uh, so funnily enough, just before I went to Toronto in the summer of 1993 was the, the, the time that I really discovered R.E.M., uh, who were my favourite band. Mm. And so I remember, <laughs> fucking hell, I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, my mum and dad, bless them, saved up and gave me loads and loads of money. Not loads of money, but you know, yeah, comparatively it was, speaking. Yeah, comparatively speaking, to, those were expensive to get tickets. me through five weeks of of living in Toronto. Uh, so naturally, I went uh, full Jack and the Beanstalk and took a great big doll of that <laughs> cash. Went down to the local mall <laughs> and bought a discman. Wow! Because I, I was like, "This is a sound investment." I'm, 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 I'm going mad here. I can't listen to music. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy myself a discman. And then I remember going into like H and and some record stores and buying some. REM albums I hadn't heard before, like the really early stuff, the IRS stuff, uh, and just listening to REM all the way through the summer. So that is inextricably linked wow, with the summer okay. of 1993 in Toronto for mm. me, uh, REM. Nice. So, yeah. Okay, now young people. Why don't you tell us what you were? <laughs> REM are a band who were very popular in the 80s and the 90s so and the 90s. So a Discman was a thing that you would listen to. <laughs> Toronto is a city in Canada. <laughs> I'm uh, really going to expose myself as the emo kid that I was here (laughs) because (laughs) um, the first big concert that I remember being really obsessed about and going with my friends was to see My Chemical Romance. Oh (laughs) Oh my God. Could not be more emo. Amazing. (laughs) We were obsessed with them. I think I I might have been 14. Was I 13? 
Closer. Yeah. Um, I think I might have been 13 or 14, maybe. <laughs> but I remember we were obsessed with that band. Um, we knew they were touring. I live, I'm from Middlesbrough and they were touring in Newcastle. So it was going to be a bit of a journey. Wow. And my mm. friend's mom got us tickets. And when she told us all, we were so excited. I went with two of my friends. Um, I can still remember <laughs> the gig. It was, it was wild. Um, that's one that stands out to me that I was very obsessed with. That's me being really deeply unprofessional. Um, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, my Chemical Romance, phenomenal. This is this is a hell of a lineup. Right? Yeah. 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 Nirvana, REM, My Chemical Romance. This is this is amazing. The first, Bring it home, first concert I ever went to see though was Crowded House, uh, just for extra cool points. I, uh, I went to, I went to see the Beautiful South because we knew the singer. We knew Brianna Corrigan, who Aww. was the, the female lead. That's that nice. One. My yeah. first, first concert is more embarrassing. It was Hearsay from Popstar. <gasps> no way! <laughs> Pure and simple, that's amazing. <laughs> be there. Oh, my oh word. God. I will say, I also went to see Extreme. More Than Words, remember? Oh, okay, oh, yeah. Yeah, because cool. they have that one song and they then one... they play all the other songs and people are like, There's a couple of good words? songs in there, but More Than Words mm-hmm. is much better than that. Of course there are. Uh, I'm on. Man. The first Mr. One. Mr. Music, the music man. Yeah. He's basking. Is yours Hans Zimmer? Yeah, he's basking in the glow of Hans Zimmer right now. Last Hans Zimmer night. has become my foretown. I will say that much <laughs> for sure. Uh, but before Hans Zimmer, it was Michael Jackson. Um, and you've seen Michael Jackson. So actually, sort of, but really no. It's it's a tricky. What me, does that mean, Amon? What does that mean? Let me explain. I've got three older brothers who were equally as obsessed with Michael Jackson and I was I was a teenager we were living in Wembley at the time and MJ was playing at Wembley Arena and I remember staying with them for most of the day but then when they had to actually go to the arena to see MJ they left me behind at home it was really annoying really annoying but like at that point where we were living, we could sort of, if you went to the roof of the house, you could see the top of Wembley Arena. <laughs> so I was like, you know, wistfully looking on <laughs> as MJ was playing just a few miles away from me. Could you hear anything? A little bit. I like just did in the distance. <laughs> 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 it's interesting that that's the song you, you went with. I know, I don't know. It's <laughs> bizarre, yeah. isn't it? Why would it go with that one? The Earth song. For some reason, Dirty Diana, and then that one. (laughs) I don't know why. Oh, boy. It's all about about Billie Jean for me. Really? Oh, the bass line. Billie Jean is great. So, yeah, that was the the first guy I was obsessed with musically. I mean, if we're talking concerts, this has nothing to do with being a teenager because I saw him in adulthood, but I saw Mm. Prince. I'm just saying. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) I'm just very proud. (laughs) You don't have to be. Oh, <laughs> unbefuckingly unbelievable. Uh, I'm usually the one who gets the accused of going off tangent. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, here is a good question from Nicole Campos at Campos over on Twitter. Curious if the film touched off the same kind of, in my opinion, ridiculous debate about the appropriateness of addressing menstruation oh, man. oh, I can't I can't say that word I can't, I can't say that word menstruation Menstru- man there you go Helen take it menstruation take it. menstruation in a Pixar film in the UK as it has in the States well, I haven't seen much like criticism of that here, and mm. and I have seen a few positive comments about it, which is good. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, let us be clear: this is not a film that is uh, gratuitous or um, <gasps> in any way explicit about anything. It's um, not Carrie. For it li- yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it literally, it literally just you know 
basically, I think if a kid doesn't know what periods are, this will not enlighten them. That's Genuinely. a very good point. Like looking at it from, you know, an adult perspective or whatever, you can see the the very clear allegory. But if at that age, if you're still not familiar, yeah, you but, might not put those things together. Obviously, there is that scene in the bathroom where her mum, that's what she thinks has happened. Yes. But, mm. but she's talking about pads and, and yeah. vitamins and stuff. And like if you're on painkillers and if you're a, I don't know, six year old kid, do you get anything from that? I no, don't, you don't think you necessarily you put that together at all. If you're a something something year old man, you don't get anything from it yeah, either because I, I, I didn't I don't understand any of it. No, um, I know. and I, I fear it. And <laughs> yes. I, I'm I'm feeling quite faint right now, actually, <laughs> just even discussing this, quite frankly. I know. Uh, but isn't it great that it's a yeah. animated so, film that's this discussing is so, this shit? This is it, because I think if you are a twelve year old girl yeah. and you are, you know, going through it then this acknowledges you in a way that you have mm. not been acknowledged mm. like in the mainstream cinema for, for the most part. So it's it's absolutely... It's it's another one of these cases of kind of Disney doing the least. Yeah. It, a little bit. Like it's, you know, in the same way with a lot of their LGBT representation, mm -hmm. in the same way with a lot of their... I'm putting it in inverted quotes, efforts towards diversity. Mm -hmm. um, they are taking baby 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 steps baby 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 yeah, baby indeed. and, and yeah they're still getting this grief from the right wing like they yeah. have just you know shot an arrow into the heart of the american family which they emphatically have not so i mean in some ways it, it's very depressing because it shows that maybe there is a case for them taking baby steps because if they get this much grief for such a mild statement mm. as a mother mentioning pads to her daughter yeah mm. It shows how, what a long way we have to go to get to a point where, you know, this can be discussed even by people like Chris without <laughs> fear or, <laughs> or favor, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's a very tiny part of the film if you don't know what it is. Mm. And if you are a little kid and you don't want to have to explain periods to your kid, you can absolutely get away without explaining them after this. Yeah. And the kid will still enjoy the film because there's a very cuddly, cute panda in it. I don't know if you noticed, but he's really furry. She's really cute. I completely missed it. I have to watch it again. Um, is it panda? <laughs> yeah. Now, if nothing else, this is a good entry point for parents to have the discussion Absolutely. about periods with girls and boys alike. So, so, yeah. It would be good if boys had a bit more of a clue because you occasionally mm. see those incredibly awful posts on social media where guys seem to think that women are essentially making periods up. Oh, Have yeah. you seen these kind yeah, of things? Yeah. Where we can control when, yeah, when it comes out. Yeah, pe people think you what? just, yeah, pe there are men who genuinely think it's, it's Look, you I just posted that them. in good faith. We don't want to mention you know, it. Yeah, we can or, just hold it in, apparently. Or that women can choose to have periods or not. And that, that there, was a, there was a guy who was like a state senator wow. who had to have the fact of life explained <laughs> mm -hmm. to him. Um, oh. Because he thought women were basically malingering for several days a month. <laughs> this is not the case. <laughs> he, genuinely, he genuinely thought that this was something that you could opt into or out of, and that women were were essentially just deciding to wow. make yeah. a fuss for a few days a month. God, <laughs> but I, I apologise on behalf of my gender. I mean, <laughs> hashtag not all men, but, but like hashtag again, most men. But most <laughs> Just a little bit less shame, a little bit more discussion. It would actually help everybody. I fast. think I agree, Helen. I think people should be free to talk about menstruation. <laughs> menstruation. 
<laughs> Look, it's got the word men in it. Surely yeah, that's yeah. a that's that must help a little. Not all menstruation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but should we talk about the the because it's it's right there at the heart of the film, not just in things like I love the the phrase, you know, has the red peony bloomed, yeah. <laughs> but but also it's but obviously also, right there in the central metaphor of, of yeah, the film. Yeah. I'm a great big red monster, and she turns into the panda, which she can't control it, and. The panda is very, very cute, but it's also, I see it as this like monstrous thing mm. inside of her that mm. comes out um, and it's just so relatable. And like the way, like it makes it very approachable that like it shows the pads and everything, but then also her mum and dad are freaking out about it. The fact that she starts, they think that she started her period. Yep. Mm. And so it's like, even just showing that, like, look, people are still freaked out, but um they don't need to be. <laughs> and, and, and it's interesting how that carries over into the metaphor. So her parents do know this is coming. This yes. specifically mm-hmm. is coming. It's not like she's just been cursed by a witch. They know <laughs> yeah. that this is coming in her life and they still freak didn't out. Didn't tell her. Yeah. And they, yeah, they didn't tell her. And they, but they still freak out that it's finally here because they weren't ready for it. And I think that's I, that's probably relatable to a lot of parents yeah. who were like, okay, yes, I, I know intellectually my kid is going to hit puberty and my kid is going to grow up and my kid is going to go through all this stuff. But I am absolutely not ready for that to happen yeah. when it does, you know. And I think that's kind of universal to parents. Like they do freak out when this comes. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. I also, I mean, as as metaphors kind of go, I think it's a it's a great one that this mm. this idea. So, so Domi she has talked about the fact that red is the color of those teenage emotions of anger, yeah. of embarrassment, of lust, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and. And so it works on on kind of that level. But part of growing up and part of being an adult is learning again to manage your emotions and manage your response to things and and kind of cope with those new feelings Mm -hmm. that you have, right? Um, (laughs) Puberty. And yeah, and and so that's kind of the journey that she goes on through the film. It's not like this, let's undo this and let's make this this never have happened. It's Mm -hmm. let's learn how to... Let's live with it. Let's learn how to live with it. Yeah, Yeah. in the conversation with her dad... Her dad says it's about making room for it. Everyone's mm-hmm. got a messy side. It's about making room for it. Yeah. Um, I believe there's a red panda in all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the um, it's such a, a wonderfully progressive film in so many ways. And I think the, um, I, you know, I haven't heard the interview Ben did yet with, with Domi Shi. But the, the the train wreck interview, <laughs> which, which ended with 14 people dead, um, never happened before. Uh, but that's what happens when you unleash Ben, I guess. But the line "My Panda, My Choice" feels really yes. pointed yeah. and deliberate, and I, I, I don't know if they talked about it, but yeah, oh, that's, yeah that's clearly not an accident. That line, no, and I think, yeah, I think that still needs to be said, basically, <laughs> in this day and age, um, in particular, right now in the US, with the attack on on abortion rights and reproductive rights of all sorts. You know, the fact that um, they they refuse to pay for contraception as well as you know trying to kill women who want an abortion. Um, so it's it's a it's a really messed up time and I think a line like mm-hmm. that doesn't go in accidentally. Um, but they again, you know, it's still baby steps. It's still a sort of there's a little bit of deniability there in the line because it is about a panda, not a body. Yeah, you yeah. know, and uh, and if uh, if a senator can't understand that women can't control the <laughs> menstruation, then he's not going to uh, have a great grasp of metaphors. All right, here's a question from at R. Pat's Yow, who asks Yow. <laughs> simply, is this Disney Pixar's horniest film yet? <laughs> I don't know, Adult Toy Story was was pretty much... <laughs> <laughs> Fuzzy and wood, wasn't yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, it was. yeah. um, 
I mean, honestly, some of some of the scenes between uh, Woody and Bo Peep are a little bit, you know, a little I bit mean, sexual. I mean, Toy Story has one of the great inappropriate erection jokes in the history of <laughs> cinemas, right? Cinemas, cinemas, cinemas. and cinema. <laughs> this is what happens you get me talking about menstruation. I lose my run at myself. Um, with his wings pop up. With his wings pop up yeah. when he sees, yeah. is, who is it? Is it um, it's Je- it's Jesse, isn't it? Jesse, yeah. When he sees Jesse and she does a thing and his wings pop up accidentally. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, we've yes. all been there, Buzz. We've all been there. So uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Toy Story, but, but it is, I mean, and I think it is, what's interesting is that any member of Fortown, any of the five members of Fortown, yeah, I love that. could absolutely be a cover star on Lisa Simpson's uh, Unthreatening Boys magazine. You know, they are extremely unthreatening. They are drawn unthreateningly. They are absolutely non-sexual. And yet mm. you can absolutely understand that teenage girls would go nutty for them. And and this again, the specificity of that is spot on. There, there is something very unsexy about almost all men in boy bands. I mean, the <laughs> fact that we call them boy bands, right? They're almost all just this weird asexual presence, which is still catnip mm-hmm. to like teenage girls. It's a fascinating thing. Um, and I just love that this film just really gets at like how weird teenage girls can be when they have a crush like um the fact that she just like loses all control of herself when she's doing this drawing and like slides under yeah. the bed and then there's this moment where she does this like weird little dark smirk at herself she's like hey. and, then, and then her face goes straight and she's drawing them again and um the bit when she sees him when she's the panda for the first time and she sees Devin in the shop and she taps her foot and shouts a wooga is the best cinematic moment of, I don't know how long I just I just think it really and like she can't stop staring at it. it's like slow motion when he walks past the mm-hmm. corridor I think it just gets to the hub of how like intense and like weird stuff you can do yeah. when you're young and you have a crush like and, yeah. it's and the perfect. way it comes out of nowhere as well yeah, yeah. like she's just like can't control it yeah. I think it's amazing yeah it, it is amazing Adobe She was also talked about the fact that she had a book of sketches under her bed mm. like hidden from her parents <laughs> that she was absolutely terrified they'd ever see um, I think it was mostly like anime and manga yeah. Um, yeah. in her in her book but nevertheless you know the fact that the boys in her um, dream and stuff are like mermaids <laughs> why does she draw them as mermaids because <laughs> they're know. completely dickless <laughs> yeah you know there's it. no there's the, the weird the, the weird that's the weird thing about these books groups like it's not about sleeping with them it's just about how much you love them yeah <laughs> But you don't like want anything from them. Like that would be kind of terrifying. It's just it's not you're not there at all. Who was your Devon? Uh oh, probably um probably Keanu. Thirteen or so would have been roughly like point break and the Bill and Ted excellent adventure with the good hair. <laughs> um mm-hmm. so yeah, that that Keanu. And and the the late great River Phoenix also. Oh. Mm-hmm. Just to yeah. Assert my emo kid um, days. Um, I was obsessed with Green Day and Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> really? <laughs> I told this story in the office. I used to go hunting for like the perfect studded belt and skinny red tie <laughs> to like wow. a replica. I was so obsessed. Um, that was, yeah, that and my chemical romance really. Really exposing myself here. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a podcast anymore. This is a therapy session. Yeah, so it's, it's me looking back. Who was your uh, Devon? Who was your Devon? Halle Berry dying another day fair. coming That's out fair. of the <laughs> so John yeah. Wick 3 was big for both of us oh, right. yeah. <laughs> in school it was Rhiannon Bid 
and Ellie Cooper. <laughs> wow. Oh, we're getting specific. Yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah. Shout Ladies. out to Rihanna. <laughs> if she's listening. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Still, still see them on Facebook every now and then. That's all good. <laughs> How about you, Chris? Chris? Who was your Devon? Uh, who was my Devon? Again, I was a bit of a late bloomer in in that regard, you know, because I, I, my parents, bless them, did a number on me uh, to, to a great extent. Um, wow, God, who was my first major crush at school? Have any posters on your wall? But posters, okay, posters. We want to talk posters. I mean, I had loads of posters. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were on my wall, but I didn't want to fuck them. Um, um, let me see. The first, the first, uh, Sandra Bullock. Mm, I mean, yeah, that's Sandra fair. Bullock. Fair Sandra fair. Bullock was my was yeah, my yeah. first. My my room at university was a shrine, but I was older than than Malin. I'm is just now. remembering mm. when I was actually a bit younger. It was um, Emilio Estevez and Young Guns. Uh, and Will Wheaton in Star Trek. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton in Star Trek. You had a crush on Crusher. He was there to be fancied by girls my age, and I obliged. All right. All right. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I probably. Um, God, who was the actress who was in Scarecrow, and Mrs. King? <laughs> oh my lord! Anyway, here's a question. Uh, Oh, this one's a bit more serious. This one comes from at Scissorly7. How do you guys feel about the queer baiting of Priya? Also, are you aware that Four Town has been made an official band on Spotify? I was not aware of that. Oh, yes, I've uh, downloaded their tunes. We have really? been playing yeah. them as aforementioned, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just thought that was just like a general release. Mm -hmm. um, not a strange word to use, but anyway. <laughs> um, so, okay, how did people feel about the queer baiting of Priya? Remind me again. What is it? What, um, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't pick up on that. Me neither. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of there's the, when she's doing the um, like charades at the party, and mm. the emo girl. Oh my god, Sophie! Um, <laughs> kind of immediately gets what she's going for, mm. and there's a little moment between them. So I think okay. it's that. I, I, I'm not sure. I would particularly call it queer baiting, so much as again Disney doing the least. Mm -hmm. So it's hinting yeah. at something. If you want to see it there, well, we clearly have failed. But if, you know, you can kind of think, oh, maybe that's a little bit of representation. Maybe that's a nod. Yeah. But it's it's very very. There was mild. something I read that um, you know when they're making these films and they pass up to Disney higher ups, they get all these notes back and all the queerness is basically. That's the open letter. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. So this is the open letter that came out from specifically Pixar employees. Mm. Um, the other week. So Disney had obviously funded all the Florida politicians who had voted for this don't mm -hmm. say gay bill, this horrific, horrific bill. Um, and they'd literally given to all of them because they give a lot to the right wing in Florida so they don't have to pay any taxes on their theme parks, I guess, or s lower taxes at least. Um, so the company's employees and many normal people like ourselves spoke out about this um, in an effort to calm things down the Disney CEO went oh no you know what we do is we try and encourage LGBT issues through our storytelling and we try to you know increase the love and the acceptance and the humanity in the world through our stories and what the Pixar letter said is basically you lie <laughs> essentially we have been giving you these stories for years and you've been stripping all that content out of them mm -hmm. and leaving mm -hmm. us with the dregs mm -hmm. of an idea. And I, you know, this feels like another one of those examples because we've all heard these filmmakers giving these interviews and talking about, 
we're, we're, you know, we're doing the first representation of this or mm-hmm. the first representation of that. And then when you see the film, you're like, I mean, I blinked and I missed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's... Joe that's, Russo in yeah. well, God, Endgame. Yeah. That's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah but, yeah, but I think, you know, the, the, maybe there is an ar- argument that that's not all on the filmmakers, that it is on, no. you know, Disney higher-ups. And mm. yeah, and this is the result. So I suspect, so maybe it is, I don't know. Queer baiting is, is a term I find difficult sometimes because I think I feel like sometimes filmmakers have a point that they want to make mm. a section of the audience thinks they're going in a different direction and mm. then feels cheated when they don't go there yeah. but I'm not sure it's always deliberately baiting someone I don't think it's always a bait and switch I don't mm. think it's a conscious decision to try and dangle something that they never intended to deliver I think sometimes it's just you read something into it that the filmmaker didn't intend you know yeah. so so I think it's sometimes it can be a little bit like unfair to people to to accuse them of queer baiting but i think in this case what it's it's not so much that it's more there was a story there that has been cut down to the nub and that probably wasn't on the filmmaker's part or even pixar's part mm. that was probably disney corporate mm-hmm. yeah i didn't pick up on the priya thing um it felt to me like Miriam presented as quite a queer character, but um, that wasn't really confirmed in any way. But I just felt like the whole concept of the film, yes, it's about like the messy side of you as a person. It's about puberty. It's about all that stuff. But it also felt it felt weirdly like a coming out story in a way, like mm. the panda, that part of herself and like the way that they talked about the more times you let it out, the harder it is to get back in. Mm. And like as a queer person, like the more times you express that self and the more you sort of look at that part of yourself, the harder it is to then to deny then keep it. it, to then deny it. So the whole thing felt to me as like on that theme, not explicitly, um, and so I took a lot of that from it, but um, mm. I didn't pick up on the pre thing specifically. Mm. But yeah. I do, I did love uh, the best friend group yeah. in this oh, film. Oh God, so much. So, so good. The way they bounced off each other, the different personalities yeah. they had yeah. were great. And, you know, we're talking about this film subverting expectations all the time. Mm-hmm. When they see that their best friend is a panda and they rally around her yeah. rather than it becoming a conflict, it was an amazing moment. Yeah. And I really just made me love that friendship group even more the great. fact that she thinks of them to calm down i just found yeah. so yes. touching i did not expect that at all and i just found that perfect also i'm, I'm obsessed with abby who is just constantly <laughs> angry who's yeah. actually if you look at it, she's actually shaking a little bit in everything <laughs> she's like so like angry and full of energy yeah. i'm obsessed Somebody, with her little moments with her is great <laughs> yeah. like yeah. <laughs> they may at one point it's like okay yeah punch me and then she's like here and on the arm <laughs> and then she punches her in the face <laughs> it's fantastic i love her Reminds me of the time of school once I uh, I was, um, we were in an RE class and... Always the funnest class. Uh, always, always the, especially <laughs> no. in Northern Ireland. Um, <laughs> and uh, two good friends of mine uh, called me over to their table. I don't know why this was a class that I could just get up and walk over to another table, but I did. And I went, they went, hey, hey, come on over. And I went, oh, what is it? What is it? And I got over and they went... Uh, <laughs> This is a true story. This actually happened. And I got over, hey, what is it, guys? And then one of them finally stabbed me in the arm with a pencil, uh, which uh, then broke off. The lead broke off. And I think to this day, I'm not sure if it's on this arm or the other arm, you can still see the lead that's buried under my skin. I'll try and find it. And I was like, what the hell did you do that for? Good friends of mine. Good friends. So when when someone tells you to get the lead out, you're like, I literally can't. There it is.
There it is, right oh, there. Wow. wow. Right there. That is a piece of lead that is still <laughs> under my skin. Jeez. <laughs> uh, we were probably, what was the lesson about? Do unto others as <laughs> Anyway, we don't have a lot of time left, so let's get a couple of uh, last questions in. Here's one from, this has been a very great trip down memory lane for all of us. I know. Uh, at Sack the Kiwi, this was the only Pixar movie to make me cry. Am I broken? I think you're broken at all the other ones. I don't think you're broken at this no, one. Maybe no, you're I fixed. cried at this one. I cried at the end of this one. I didn't oh. cry. Oh, I, I, I felt the emotions. I had lumps <laughs> in the throat. But yeah, Coco is the... It didn't... Coco didn't make me cry. Oh, Coco oh, destroyed no. me. I, I, don't no. think, I don't think there's any film which has destroyed me like Coco did. The oh. last 50 minutes of that no. film... I was a puddle, and I have never cried at any film before. We'll go back to Disney's horniest film again. <laughs> <laughs> I have never cried at any film before since the way I cried in the last fifteen minutes of Coco. Really, it destroyed me. Wow. Um, and this, it got close, but I think the way that the, the happy ending of the film like helped me not to, to mm. take it that way but like yeah mm. um, it's still all, all the emotions I, were, were felt yeah I, I actually I don't think I cried at this one but definitely felt the emotion I mm. um, but if you didn't cry at like Up or Wall-E <laughs> or Toy Story 3 I, you know I feel like maybe just go back and watch those now that you're fixed by watching this one right I mean come on guys I didn't yeah. cry the first time but when I rewatched it last night it was at the end when her mom's just going through the sort of mirror thing mm. and she says don't hold back for oh, anyone yeah. the further yeah. you go the prouder I'll be and I'm honestly I could cry now yeah. I think mm. that's such a beautiful line yeah. and just like mm. sums up like so many relationships we have with our mothers and like how they feel about us and yeah mm. I think it's beautiful yeah. and I do think like the, the her mother character is brilliant yes. it's really yeah. brilliantly done because we haven't voice even performers. they're mm-hmm. so good mm-hmm. but, oh, but it's amazing. yeah it's a fantastic voice performance but it's also just a fantastically written character yeah. and mm-hmm. story so one of the things that Domi Shi has talked about is the fact that when you see this story done it's often from the, the side of the parents you're mm. seeing the parents react you know immigrant parents reacting to their westernized child going mm. against their own values and this is you know from the child's point of view who absolutely respects those values and absolutely respects her parents, but also has other things that she wants to do, that she wants to explore and everything else and finding the balance between those. But what I think is really interesting and what I think elevates this film is it's not just that either. Mm. It's also the fact that the mother clearly has a difficult relationship with her own mother, Mm -hmm. with the grandmother, Mm -hmm. that she knows that mistakes have been made there. She doesn't necessarily know how to fix them. but she And she wants to do differently by her own daughter, but doesn't know how. And she's also trying to figure out and navigate Mm -hmm. this new path between what she did with her mother and yet what matters to her, what her values are, what values she wants her daughter to share. Mm. So I just, like, it's so, it's so complicated perfect. and yeah. layered, yeah. But, but absolutely realistic, absolutely yeah. relatable, just brilliantly done. What did you make of the way it escalates? What did you make of the way that you know, something everyone's pandas, you have, the, you have the mythology of the pandas, uh, and it all gets a, a little like, bit complicated, maybe? I don't no, know. No, I love and it. It feels <laughs> it maybe, for, for me, I love the film, I think it's a five-star film, but yeah. it feels at times that you can you can maybe feel... Uh, almost an imposition of a thriller ticking clock plot on a film that I don't think necessarily needed it. I I disagree with that just because I think they they gave it just enough story 
to not take away from, mm. yeah. you know, I mean, the, the the thread of a lot of the film is how do we get the money to get the tickets to go to this concert? Like that's, yeah. you know, that's yeah. the whole middle yeah. act is actually mm. that. And and so they gave it just a little bit more in the final act to give it a bit of a sense of climax and a bit of a sense of both emotional and physical kind of peril and, and yeah. you know, mm. yeah. difficulty. It, it does feel like Avengers Assemble, but for elders, which is great. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm bored now. Yes. <laughs> Six stars. And, and I love that. But they also, as Helen said, that threaded through with the emotion of the ritual and the part that plays yep. in the final act really yeah. sort of helps bolster it on that level too. And when I saw, um, when you first see Ming's panda and it's so enormous, mm. I, d- I was not expecting that at all. And I was like, oh, of course, her mum's panda is huge. I was yeah. like, that's why it's like been such a struggle. And she's like passed on these kinds of anxieties mm-hmm. to May because look at this big thing that she's keeping inside. <laughs> and I was like, of course, that makes total sense. And I absolutely loved that. I loved how mm-hmm. wild they went with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how all the aunties and everything like just break their jewellery yeah, it's, it's such a great moment. It is. It's so brilliant. Good. It's also just the the animation on that bit when the when the panda comes along the street and, and yeah. towards the dome. <laughs> Pure Ghostbusters, I thought. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really, like with the glowing yeah. eyes for yeah. a minute. That was amazing. <laughs> when twerking fails, the elders are there. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, all right, just real quick. Uh, someone sent in a question a week or so ago when the, the movie first came out on Disney Plus, and I've lost your name. I'm so sorry. And I've lost a question, but I remember the sentiment, and the sentiment was about what Helen said which is the the second act of the movie is essentially about May deciding to exploit her pandaness mm-hmm. and give money to go to see Four Town. And someone asked if we felt that was the right thing to do, the right thing to do for, for her and for the movie as well. I thought that was charming. It was very um, Teen Wolf in a way, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, it was it was kind of the, I, and I mean this in a nice way, the, the low stakes kind of mm. teenage monster movie. Yeah kind of thing. Um, this idea that she is, you know, more or less accepted by the people around her. She still has some, you yeah. know, some controlling of her powers to do, but there's a, a degree of acceptance there. A degree of sort of, yeah, I mean, school is weird, so I guess this is happening now, sure. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and and yeah, and then what do you do with that if you were in this situation? So it's a kind of, it's a little bit of a suspension of disbelief, mm. but also kind of playfully engaging with the reality of the situation. Okay, if someone in your school could mm. turn into a giant red panda, what would teenage girls <laughs> think of the cutest thing they've ever seen? You know, I think there's something oh, there. my yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she just shuts her yeah, face yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great um, yeah. um, I just I love that you think it just completely subverts what you think you think she's going to have to hide it she's going to have to mm. keep it hidden it's going to be all this stress about keeping it in mm-hmm. but no it's about embracing it and like being her truest self with it out there and the fact that that, that is the plot that she has to like let it out I just think that's such a great decision and such mm. like a warm decision it's not about being isolated and shunned by her friends or anything like that it's just about yeah. her coming to terms with herself yeah, yeah. I, think it's I like that the only thing I don't like about that is the bullying storyline kind of gets brushed aside because he happens to like the same band that they, that, that they do at the end and he's doing a lot of really silly heinous stuff all throughout the film mm. to May and I yeah, feel like they needed a bit more absolution but in, actually you know, I mean in the end she also attacks him so I feel like maybe that's the for being an the ass. Balance. But yeah. No, but like she full on attacks him and she's <laughs> yeah. like nine foot tall at the time. Yeah. So I feel like there's a little bit of a balancing there. And I think, and I like, I did like him turning up at the concert and then realizing <laughs> they have this thing in common that they didn't know they had in common. They're like, <laughs> welcome to the sister. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and it's sort of, yeah, it's just, it was unexpected. And I thought, I thought that worked quite well. Yeah. So I like that. 
Last question. Uh, Chris Murray on Twitter says, this is a public service announcement. MasterChef restarted tonight. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Chris. Uh, <laughs> really means a lot. Daniel Clare asked real quick, he says, I thought this movie was going to cover the dramatic turnaround in the Premier League title race this year. Uh, I still have a feeling it's going to be turning blue by the end, sadly. Uh, however, uh, he asked about the characters, the, the, the voices of the characters, the dialogue of the characters. It's set in 2002 and it's very much a period movie. God, I'm out of more ways uh, than in, one. Oh, oh <laughs> mom. Come on. Chris can't come take on. that kind of talk. Come on. You come in here with your potty mouth and you sully this podcast. You sully it. That's Monster Inc, by the way. Wazowski. Better that than the Uncharted movie on Sully. Oh, boy. We've already ranked the Sullys. We've already ranked the Sullys. Let's ease down. Ease down. Uh, but anyway, Dan Clear asked about the fact that he, to his ear, the the way the kids spoke sounded very modern. Uh, it didn't really sound like kids spoke in 2002. Has language moved on that much in the last 20 years? I, I don't know. Was there anything specific? I, I didn't notice. Mm. There were maybe there, there was maybe one phrase that, and I've forgotten it now. So this is a great anecdote that popped <laughs> out at me, and I was like, "Oh, did we say that in two thousand two? But in fairness, I wasn't a high schooler or middle schooler mm. in Toronto in two thousand two, and mm. it's entirely yeah. possible that they had different slang Absolutely. than we do. People so. don't come to these uh, podcasts for anecdotes, Helen. I don't know why <laughs> they come to them, quite frankly. And the last question comes from at Bij Ramos forty two who slid into my DMs to ask, how did having women, I think this was a question for uh, Domi, she and Lindsay Collins, but fuck it, we'll take it. How did having women in all the key leadership and creative roles shape the narrative and look of the movie? I think this is a very good question because it, you know, allows me to get on my hobby horse. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord. Helen, I've only no. allotted two minutes for this answer. <laughs> no, I, look, I think, it's, I think it's really important to this sense of authenticity that we're talking mm. about. And obviously, lots of detail in this film is taken to, directly from Domi Shi's life. So you have, I mean, literally, she's talked about the fact that watching uh, Cantonese soap opera with her mum was something she used to do. Mm. And they actually got voice actors from Hong Kong who used to be on those soap operas to voice that little bit of the film, which is super cute and, and super amazing. detailed. Also, her mum didn't speak Cantonese, she spoke Mandarin, but they watched it anyway because it was as close as they could get to, you know, home. Mm. So, um, so, so that kind of detail comes directly from her own life and nobody else can do that. I think a lot of the detail about loving boy bands and, you know, the interaction with her friends and the interaction at school comes from a team of women who were in similar circumstances at a similar time mm -hmm. in the recent past. And I think that, plays through in the same way that John Lasseter has very clear memories of the toys he played with and that informs Andy and the Toy Story films. So that's all basically important and good and and the reason that the film works I think as well as it does. The, the problem that Pixar has to reckon with is that they have consistently kept women back from leadership roles mm -hmm. um, like this and made it very, very difficult. The fact that we're on our 25th Pixar film and this is the first feature directed by a woman is embarrassing it should be embarrassing to everybody at pixar frankly and certainly all the men definitely um, more depressing than laudable at this stage it really Absolutely. really is and and i think you know the it's clear that the talent is there and the talent has been there for a long time mm. and the problem was the talent didn't get a chance to step up for reasons that have been well reported on but also just the wider culture of animation since walt frickin disney 
has been to... It's the nine old men, not the... It's the yeah. nine old men, not the nine mm. old people. You know, it has... It, Walt Disney literally thought that women couldn't animate because they didn't have a sense of timing. Because they were malingering three days a month. <laughs> Is that what it basically Yeah, but, I mean, but seriously, women were not allowed into the animation building unless they were models. Jesus fucking For the Christ. animation. They were wow. literally not allowed in the building. They wow. could be... They could do other things. They could be inkers. They could be colorists, but they couldn't walk into the animation building, right? And that pervaded the entire profession. Yeah. And I mean, animation is an art form Jesus. where women can do exactly as well as men. All the skill, none of the skills are inherent on being tall or having chest hair or, <laughs> you know, being physically able to lift enormously large weights. Women can do all of it. Women have been going to animation school in large numbers for many years. The difference has been opportunity. And I hope that films like this will show that, you know, they should keep fighting and keep pushing and that they will hopefully get a chance. Because even Domi Shi, reading between the lines, has had a very tough road getting mm. to where she is. Mm -hmm. She's had to work harder and longer yeah. to get there. She's talked about having to find allies and other women and the tiny number of other women, and particular women of colour, um, you know, at these studios where she's worked. It's been a long road to get here and it shouldn't have been that tough. And I would encourage anyone who's watched the film, enjoyed the film, to watch Embrace the Panda, which is a documentary on Disney Plus about the making of it, where um, they talk to Domi Shi, they talk to the production designer, who I think her name is Rona, they talk to the VFX supervisor, um, also a woman, and the producer. And it's this leadership team of four women and so many women on uh, on the rest of the team as well. And it digs into their stories, not about what they put, not just about what they put into the film, um, specifically and like animation wise, but like their journey as mothers and how that's informed it as daughters. Um, it's a really great perspective mm. on their journey specifically to making the film and how it informed it as well. Yeah. I love that. Mm. I love that. It's all about the specifics you're talking about mm. earlier, the specifics within the universality. And like with this film and with so many others, I get it, but I don't get it at the same time. I get it to a point, but for instance, if I watch a black-centric film, there are things which I would understand on a deeper level that maybe you guys wouldn't. And How I was, dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I can only imagine that for women, especially Asian women watching this yeah. film, yeah. there are things that they get which I would just go totally over my head. Yeah, I think a uh, lot of that, that relationship with their mothers, that pressure to succeed, right. you know, in particular mm. Asian uh, immigrants to the West, mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is, is really baked in and culturally you know, stuff that is that is very specific. But again, like, you know, we've all had maybe a degree of it, but but the, the way it's presented here is, is also very specific. Yeah. But it's specificity that makes it universal. I yeah. feel like this is... Mm -hmm. Where the best storytelling comes exactly. from. Exactly. Yeah. This, yeah. this is what the, you know, a lot of the studio execs fail to understand. I think you get universal stories by being specific. It's It sounds ridiculous, but it is true. Mm -hmm. It's by telling authentic stories about authentic people that allow you to actually speak to other people. And yes, there are going to be people like that idiot reviewer who <laughs> thought that this couldn't possibly speak to him because it was about, you know, an Asian girl from Toronto. Being curious and having, you know, wanting to seek out and understand other cultures and experiences that aren't your own is part of the job description if you're mm. part of the arts. Mm. Um, and cinemas being the empathy machines that they are are a perfect delivery system for that. Yeah. Well... Blimey. Well, we've talked about turning red until we've turned blue in the face, folks. Uh, so now it is time to bring this uh, bad boy uh, to an end or bad panda or uh, oh God. Good panda. Um, 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 <laughs> uh, 
Thank you, as ever, for subscribing to the spoiler specials. It really does mean a lot, your support. And we aim to repay that support with lots of spoiler specials coming away over the next few weeks. Oh, God, what else are we recording? We're oh, recording... We're- we're recording, well, we'll be starting Moon Knight next Moon week. Moon Knight next week, weekly um, episodes of Moon Knight. We're going to be doing uh, The Kingsman, finally, is going to be happening. Yeah. That's going to be recorded hey. next Peacemaker. week. Peacemaker, we're going to be doing a Peacemaker. That's just a one-off because all the episodes came in once. But that's with James Gunn, The Kingsman with Matthew Fawn. Um, we're doing Ambulance with Michael Bay. We're doing Morbius <sighs> with Daniel Espinosa. They're all coming your way, folks, over the next few weeks and months cannot wait uh, so thank you as ever for your support and do spread the words tell people about the wonderful bounty that awaits behind the paywall <laughs> uh, the regular podcast is out every Friday of course if you don't already listen to that and subscribe to that please do so and please do leave us a nice five star reviews on iTunes every little bit helps of course anyway in the meantime that is it for turning red and it's time for me to turn to my three four townies of such lethal cunning and say thank you very much indeed for participating Helen O'Hara you're never not on my mind mm. oh my mm. oh Yes. Best song I would say that uh, Billie Eilish has contributed cinematically over Whoa. the last year. <laughs> Probably going to win an Oscar this weekend. Bloody hell! What's <laughs> happening? Nah, nah. You don't think? You don't think Encanto? Dos Oruguitas. If they had the right song. I, I like Dos Oruguitas. I like it too. It's hey, not, listen, we this don't is talk the, about Bruno. I know. We, it's better. We do not talk about the Academy's. Oh, hello. Uh, we do not talk about the Academy's fuck ups in that category. This is the, uh, this is the August a, body that uh, has yeah. overlooked many, many songs over the years. Uh, anyway, it's goodbye from Sophie Butcher. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> it's goodbye from Amon Warman. I did it on my own. Oh, 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 oh. I did it on my own. Except you didn't, did you, Mom? You had your friends with you, who you think about when you're angry and you want to calm down. You think about, you think about me, don't you, Mom? Think, think about the pod me. booth. Think about the pod booth. Think about. Look at me. Look at me, Mom. Brush your non-existent hair. I can feel the red panda coming alive. As I look at you. Peace. I hope it's. Uh, is it a red panda or is it a red peony? No, oh, God, menstruation. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> that record effect that Chris has fainted <laughs> of course I haven't I'm off to put together the uh, playlist for this podcast it's going to be filled with bangers <laughs> R.E.M. My Chemical Romance Nirvana <laughs> Michael Jackson Crowded House they're all in there all bangers all the time thank you so much for listening see you next time bye bye